comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead? Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades podcast. And today we're doing a special episode on the adventure that comes in the book. Uh, this is the Obsidian Bat. It's it's the it's at the end of the book, and it's a it's an escort agency adventure. We have another adventure that's available on the website, which we'll talk about later. Uh, and and this was just something we kind of wanted to see if we could have a discussion about you know the how how he came to, to do the adventure in the first place and uh helping with some advice on how to run it and giving some just behind the scenes information about it uh jeremy is there anything you want to add before we get well into no I'm, I'm kind of excited to do this because when i do modules for whatever whatever system it is one of the first things i do is i go onto either youtube or just google search and try to get advice from people who have run it and i find that to be helpful cuz a lot of times you know i can be made aware of issues that'll come up before i have to handle them my own, myself or whatever uh -huh. so you and i have run this um, in playtesting quite a few times i think we have a pretty good insight on what can go wrong or what can go right yeah. and so we're, what we're planning to do is we're going to talk We'll just talk about the adventure in general and the way that these kind of adventures happen in the movies and the books uh, in the wuxia genre. We'll touch on that. We'll give a little bit of advice specifically for players. And then at a certain point, we'll cut it off uh, in terms of this. We'll, we'll open it up in terms of spoilers that are meant for GMs. So if any of you out there are uh, coming at it and uh, thinking of playing this scenario but not being the GM, then at that point, you might want to cut off. But we'll have plenty uh, before then, and I have two really quick disclaimers or warnings, I guess you could say. One is my daughter is now six months old almost, and her primary means of communication nowadays is to just scream, <laughs> like not protracted screaming, but if she's like hungry, she'll just be like, ah! So if you hear that in the background, that's the explanation for that. And the other one is uh, I have a neighbor uh, right next to me who likes to play very loud music with um, the subwoofer turned up really high. Uh, if you hear some thumping bass lines in the background in the middle of it, I apologize for that, but there's not much that I can do about that. So yeah, I'm excited to get started on the obsidian bat. Okay. So what should I do here? Should I just give an overview of the adventure without giving any spoilers away? Is that the, yeah, the sure. first step here? So, I mean, it's basically, it's an escort adventure. The players are hired by a guy named chief Bonfay of the Hondon escort company, uh, to transport this thing called the obsidian bat from Handan to Immortal Sword Manor, where they're supposed to give it to Sword Goddess. Um, there's a lot more to the adventure than that, but we can't really get into it without giving spoilers. And we will be giving spoilers, but later. Um, and so, I don't know, is there anything you want to add to the overview, or should we get... Well, um, it, it's designed to be uh, compatible, or I guess suitable is probably the better word, for a beginner GM and beginner players. Uh, it's fairly linear, not, not to say railroady. Yeah. But it is, it is possible to basically do it um, as a series of A, B, C, D events that can be relatively easily managed. But there's more to it than that. I think you kind of wanted to, to touch yeah. on that. Yeah, so this was, I mean, 
this was the adventure like people that are familiar with my style of writing adventures know i'd like to do a lot of moving parts and open sandboxy type things they might be contained but there's often a lot of autonomy on the parts of the player and this is more of an introductory adventure and we talked a lot about that when we were developing it we wanted to make sure that the first adventure in the book uh, which is, the, in this case, the only adventure in the book. We have the, the adventure on, online also. Uh, just kind of helps guide people through the system and is useful to both the beginning GM and a more experienced GM. But we also wanted to make it so that if you are more experienced and you run games the way that I like to run them, that you can take these things and make them move around in a much more freeform way. And I think we did a good job with it, and we'll get into that later. Um, I think one other thing worth noting about this one is that uh, it's designed for low-level characters, but the foe in this, we specifically set it up as a high-level foe to kind of show how genre conventions can be used to make that feasible without making it like the party is definitely going to die type of a situation. Um, yeah, that's a, and that's something that... Uh, it's not... I don't think it really, would really be considered spoiler advice because... Presumably, the characters, uh, the player characters, um, would be able to, with a pretty easy Jianghu role, Jianghu skill role, would be able to get some basic information about the person they're dealing with, and they would yeah. know that it is a very competent and high-level opponent. Yeah. And so, I think that that's something the players should keep in mind: is this is not designed to be, you know, like the, the typical go to the goblin camp and, you know, kill the goblin chief thing. If they try to do it that way, it's probably going to go pretty bad. So they're going to have to use their brains and uh, kind of figure out a way to make the uh, final encounter however it plays out, because there's a lot of different ways that it could play out. They're going to have to figure out a way to, to make that uh, feasible when they're only low level. And I do want to point out that with my group, I was... Uh, the main playtest group I ran, I was doing it kind of like in an accelerated way. So I was having my people level up a lot faster than normal. And we do offer, we offer multiple ways to handle the leveling up. If you get this game and you're, you're, you're not planning to play it for like a couple years, you just want to play it for a few months, then you could feasibly um, use this adventure and have the players level up every session or two. And then by the time they get to the end, they might be a little bit higher. So it really depends on the play style, yeah. uh, but regardless of whether the players are low level or high level, they're gonna most likely gonna have to use their uh, ingenuity to come up with a way to resolve the final situation. Now, uh, are we gonna move into what inspired the adventure? Is that our first? Yeah, I was of... I was thinking about that beforehand and trying to come up with a list of uh, movies that I would recommend for the. And by the way, just to clarify, when we say escort agency, we're talking about like a bodyguard caravan yeah. guard yeah. type thing, not the other kind that that might. Yeah, this be this is modern. one of those things where that's. I mean, I don't I don't know that you you would know more about the lang the original language, but the way that this is typically translated is either as an escort company or an escort agency, and that's just kind of has stuck. And so it, it would almost be confusing if they changed the standard translation now, because then you'd go back to earlier movies and books, and you you know they wouldn't necessarily connect um so uh so uh but yeah why don't you what 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 list did you come up with for um okay well i think i'm pretty sure well i, I was going primarily with the movies that we recommended in the book already and so the the main ones i think uh obviously kid with a golden arm is like probably the best example yeah yeah um and then magnificent bodyguards 
which as we've done this on the podcast before talking about magnificent bodyguards yeah. it's a really weird and kind of like i, I think crazy movie but it's typical this kind of mission basically i think honestly both you both of them are just as essential viewing because the kid with the golden arm gives you the concept it gives you the, like that's that's like his like on the nose escort agency adventure as it gets magnificent bodyguards that i mean to understand the logic of what we're doing in terms of what the characters are trying to do and some of the twists that maybe arise this magnificent bodyguards is kind of where the the genre justification and genre logic arises from do you know what i mean um so i think it's important i think also magnificent bodyguards is a little on the darker side even though it's a, got jackie chan in it it's actually kind of a it's weirdly yeah. dark um that's one of the if i remember correctly that's that was before he really kind of fell into his own style and rhythm and it's a, it's a wuxia as opposed to like a more sort of kung fu yeah. that he was is more famous for um uh let me mention the other ones really quickly because i think uh i think there's some good player advice to be given in regards to this before we move into the jam section but i also had um deadful melody although it's been a long that's time a since good I saw one it. yep deadful uh, melody i don't think see here's the thing i think that's a good example of escorts in general it's probably not the best for this adventure itself because that goes that is so gonzo that movie but yeah. that's definitely and also that movie has one of the best theme songs ever like i hear that theme song and i'm ready to watch the movie again Another one is now this one. It's the entire movie isn't about it, but I've, I remember a good chunk of it being pretty relevant, which is Web of Death. There's like a pretty yeah, significant yeah. Um, uh, like which, plot element, which they pretty much lifted from um, uh, Heaven Sword Dragon Saber, right? Like that. That right. I was gonna mention that also as uh, I I don't remember the movie versions, but at least in the novel, which you can find the translation online, the early parts of the novel, there's a big part that's all yeah. centered around that. that. And there's one more. This one is not what we were aiming for and it is not really particularly relevant but bodyguards and assassins is a modern movie where okay. it's essentially the same thing other than that in bodyguards and assassins they're uh are escorting a person to a location as opposed to carrying uh an item but same yeah. similar kind of idea and, and i would also just say a lot of movies feature these escort companies even if they're not central to the plot like a lot of them open with something being escorted and the caravan gets attacked by bandits that's like i can't i mean i know yeah. that like uh uh what is it the uh the the red the red temple trilogy uh that you know that opens with that um i think come, come drink, drink with me, me well. kind of does yeah. but i think it's more of a i think it's more of an official traveling right. through the, but it's a similar type of thing and you, but you just see it a lot in a, in a ton of these movies um or even in uh heroes shed no tears which is a favorite of of both of ours the even though it's not really ever depicted one of the main characters sima chaochuan he basically makes the ultimate like escort agency yeah. alliance in north china and so that's kind of the context of that even though it doesn't really come up in the actual plot of the story yeah so i mean so these are like really important to to the genre in general and so watching these movies would be helpful um, and if i was gonna as we i think we can't go too much into the player side but as if i was going to give adv non-spoiler advice to the players it would be to um you know watch those movies and kind of see what happens and then yeah. keep that in mind basically because i i think the typical thing that happens is 
stuff goes wrong and it's unexpected if you're going to kind of boil it down. And the when I was running it, I think the my players were sort of very reactive, which is fine. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be reactive. Um, you can make stuff happen. You don't have to wait for stuff to happen to you, although that is, I think, kind of a typical thing that will, will happen because you're kind of you're guarding something so you don't have a, a mission to do other than yeah. keep this thing safe and make sure it gets from point a to point b but you can be assured that what the different locations you go to and the different people you encounter there's going to be more to it than meets the eye and you know 100 percent for sure that there are going to be people trying to intercept you trying to steal the thing that you are attempting to escort or try to harm you in some way so definitely, as the players, you don't want to view this as a sightseeing uh, yeah. tour where you're just kind of going along and you know eventually you'll reach point B and everything's fine. We made this as straightforward as possible, but I've always I've never liked set pieces and stuff like that. I've always liked adventures that are more like a chemical reaction. So it's kind of like I, the way I look at this one is like we like it, at the place where you would kind of expect there to be a set piece, where there kind of is a set piece. We basically drop a bomb on the set piece. Do you know what I mean it's just like you know? that's that's as far as i can go without spoiling things but just it, it's allowed to go in all kinds of directions and so um you know and and different groups handled it differently i had groups that were much more straightforward with it i had groups that were really all over the map um so are we getting in now to the gm section is that yeah so okay. players trust no one and be on your toes at all times and at this point we're going to get into some advice for the gm so if you are uh, thinking that you're going to be part of a group as a player, then it would probably be good to uh, shut off podcast and leave and tell your GM to come and pick it up from this point so that they can get some good advice for how to run it because we do have a lot of stuff to get into. All right. So um, so this is now the official GM section of the podcast. Again, players, you probably shouldn't be listening, but you know we can't physically stop anybody if they're, if they're <laughs> going to. Um, so, But this will contain spoilers is the problem. So... Uh, you know, what, what, where do we want to begin? Do we want to begin with just advice for GMs running it? Like, are there, uh, areas that you had, uh, you had thought people might, uh, have greater difficulty or that sort of thing? Sure. Well, I mean, maybe we can kind of start with the, um, sort of intended path for them, for the players to take. Obviously, as you mentioned, it can it can be a lot more complicated than we yeah. laid it out to be. And we did that intentionally. Like, for instance, if you look at the map on page 259, so we now have our hard copies of the book, finally, that we can refer to. Uh, page 259 has the, um, has the map of the area. Now, incidentally, to get into some background information, and I don't want to get too complicated, this is essentially a map that's that's based on modern day cities but we did we did a lot of work to try to correlate the modern day cities with the ancient cities that would have been in those places and we we went back and forth on this a lot we ended up going with the modern ones to make it easy for the yeah. gms to be able to do research and to locate these on real maps nowadays so in real life based on the Jianghu setting that we created there would have been different names for the cities yeah. the yellow river would have flowed in a different different area whatever but the point yeah. is and also we included I, I, a lot of go ahead i just want to add that tied into the anachronistic thing but i think more importantly it would like we we did a lot of work and originally to make it very accurate uh, and the problem with that was just how uh, how uh, hard it was going to make things like you were saying for a gm 
to look anything up. That was the problem, is it would have been accurate, but it would have been, unless you had like a PhD, you wouldn't have been able to find the information. And we didn't have space to include the information. So that was the, yeah, that was, that so, was. The, like, for instance, there are, there are some of the locations on the map uh, where, again, these are the modern day locations. They, they didn't exist by that name in ancient times, or if it, they did, it was like a part of another larger yeah. area or something like that. So the point is just, we made it, um, so that it would be easy for GMs to expand on the material that we provided. And there are plenty of locations on the map that are not even mentioned in the adventure. So yeah. that was the point of my little, uh, you know, side track was that the GMs who are wanting to go bigger, there's plenty of places on the map that they could um, offer to the players as mm -hmm. places to go to. Um, of course, the GM will have to generate some, you know, further information for those locations. But in any case, basically, the players are supposed to take this item from location A, which is uh, Handan, down to a place right outside of Kaifeng, which is the capital, and that's Immortal Sword Manor. And then we have a few key um, encounters that we suggest to, you know, you can throw them in at random, or you can do them the order in which we provided them. So I was thinking maybe what we could do is sort of go through the different encounters and just uh, give some insight based on how we ran them, what could possibly play out, and yeah. things to look out for. So, for instance, um, the uh, number A, the A event, just going through the list, is mm -hmm. one of the members of the Handan Escort Company who the boss sends with you is actually trying to steal the bat. Yeah. And so in my um, session, that actually never played out that way. Okay. But I know it did with yours. I remember hearing you I, talk about well, it I, yeah i i had why I, I think i i think it happened in both of them but one of them was striking i'm trying to remember exactly what happened because it's been a while now but if i recall uh one long he he's they stayed at an inn and that's when he decided to to take the item from them and for there was for some reason the i think the bat exploded on him um and and so they came upon him after, uh, and, and, and he was already wounded. And so then they, you know, I don't remember exactly what the outcome of it was, but what, but the, the result of that thing exploding early was that the party became aware of, well, well let's talk about the spoiler cause it's relevant now. Um, yeah. the, 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 the plot is that, uh, Shaili Zhuan and sword goddess are having a, a bit of a feud and sword goddess is pissed and she wants to get. Uh, attention because they're they sort of have a friendly rivalry and and so she feels like she's being ignored basically so she masks or masquerades as sword goddess which obviously is kind of like a nod to uh heaven sword dragon saber it's that kind of a moment and then she goes and she 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 hires them as jay Juan to send the obsidian bat to sword goddess herself but you know, as Shaylee Juan, I know it gets complicated and she massacres them. <laughs> and in order, in order to, to, you know, cause a stir in the Zhang Hu. Uh, but to her surprise, the, the head of the escort company is like, Oh, I'm still going to deliver this to her. And, uh, because he realized through her footwork, who she was, that she wasn't Shaylee Juan and through other clues as well. And so he concocts a, a forgery. That's a weapon that explodes and releases a poison with the aim of getting some kind of revenge on her. And, and so the guy that took it, he fell victim to this 
and then that revealed to the party what was going on. And they basically, so what happened, so in the first step of the journey, they basically found out what happened and they marched back down to uh, uh, Handan and they confronted the, the leader of the, uh, of the escort company. And I basically played him the way I thought he would go in that sort of a situation where he was like, okay, well, look, I'll be honest with you. Here's what happened. You know, I'll pay you extra if you're still willing to do it. And if not, you know, we can work something else out. And they agreed to continue with the mission uh, knowing what they were going to do. And so it just created a much different adventure as a result. Um, yeah, that's a good point. It, uh, th- I mean, this is the perfect example of how that can happen. And we mentioned that possibility in the adventure as well, uh, what to do if that happens. Incidentally, one of the main inspirations um, for how we laid this out, I think, uh, or at least in my mind, this is what we were thinking, was there's so many, there are so many, especially with Goulong uh, stories, where there's always this big twist yeah. and everything is not as it seems and you find out. And so the way that's supposed to work in the Obsidian Bat is they're supposed to get the Obsidian Bat to Sword Goddess and then the twist happens and then multi- it can play out in different ways. That was kind of our initial idea. But again, it could happen early or in the middle or at any point yeah. at which in which case the GM is going to have to adjust. Yeah, and I would say, I would tell the GM, don't be precious about it because if you want to preserve player agency in the game, it's better to let them, like in my game, discover it early if that's what happens rather than be like, you know, try to try to patch it over in some way. Um, and I, and I, think, I think that the, one of the things that that does for you is it, it the players get more invested when that happens. When my players marched back on this guy and they were like, hey, you're pulling the wool over our eyes and he finally admitted it, they were like 10 times more invested in the adventure when they went when they headed back out because of that. So it, it, it can, it, it, it generally works in your favor to just kind of be as honest about that stuff as possible. It's great to have a twist and you can have it, but you don't want to be so contrived about it and railroad it that it's, uh, uh, that it causes resentment on the part of the players. So, yeah. you know, in my case, it, in my case, it actually went basically exactly as planned where they delivered it to sword goddess. And then, um, and I was, I was, playing it fairly i was using i was rolling the dice for a sword goddess essentially to kind of make her decisions and and see how things played out and with my group they delivered it to her and then she detonated it on herself and that led to a whole other it led to a dramatic chase because they were the the players were uh staying the night in her temple and then the explosion happened and they were kind of on edge and they suspected that something was going wrong Mm -hmm. so as soon as they heard that explosion they jumped out the window and were running but then it led to a a chase and a showdown and whatnot um so anyway it can yeah it can play out yeah and i I did have one that that went more the the way that it's sort of like you know this is the likely flow of events and and it worked fine that way it was totally fine um, but one thing about this too, this so this number A, even though it's A, and if you're just running it down the list, down the road, that's fine. You know, if, if you want to, you can stay your hand and be like, well, Wan Long is going to wait a little while until he does this because he learned something. The PCs did something. And so, you know, there's there's, there's room to, to be flexible with it if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, and so the next one is is a little bit more static because it's kind of keyed to a location, right? The next one is the uh, road shop wine, uh, wine shop. Sorry, the roadside wine shop. Um, and that's basically a bully encounter. And I, I, I think we just wanted to get one of these in there because they happen all the time in wuxia movies and in kung fu movies where you just get these local martial experts 
or sometimes they're not even martial experts. Sometimes they're just regular people, but who know how to punch. And, you know, they, they, they just kind of go, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit stagey. It's a little bit over the top, but I, I think it's an important part of the genre. Um, and yeah. also we wanted to get the wine shop in there too. That's an, another important part of the genre. So that's, you know, and again, this is definitely a more static encounter. I wouldn't recommend moving the wine shop around on the road, uh, but you could move the bully encounter around. You know, the bully encounter could happen virtually anywhere. Um, yeah. Plus there's a, we do, there is a, now we, we list encounters in the Jianghu as optional uh, and you can roll, you could roll for these encounters, or you can, you know, pick them and put them where you want. And I would say that the well, the roadside wine shop is a good place for one of them because that's a, a I mean, that, as you said, genre staple, and it's a place where pe- travelers are going to stop for either a, a meal or maybe possibly the night. So it's a great place for a my, encounter. My uh, brocaded granny encounter, uh, which is the one through three result, that happened at the road. The, the roadside wine shop um we should talk about those encounters of the zhang who i think when we're done with these ones because okay that's a, that's a whole other thing too and it's a uh the, uh so then the next one is ching yun uh confronts the party to demand an explanation and this is my favorite encounter actually i don't know why yeah me too actually <laughs> yeah. so okay so, so uh, there must be something about it um so so why don't you describe it then if because i'm I, I didn't realize it was also your favorite well, so Ting Yun is supposed to be the, I think we describe her as the handmaiden of Xiaoli Zhuan. So she's kind of like the, uh, you know, there's a kind of, you know, the cast of characters is starting to get complicated. But basically, you know, Sword Goddess is trying to get um, Xiaoli Zhuan's attention. And then this girl is her, is the handmaiden of the person who, whose attention is being sought. And so now she's kind of looking into this incident. Yeah. And she's supposed to be pretty arrogant and so yeah. this encounter can really just go a lot of different ways. And incidentally, a lot of it is going to have to do with how much asking around the players are doing along their way, how much they suspect uh, about what is going on is, is is false or how much they suspect yeah. there's more to it than is going on. It just really can go a lot of different ways. And in my in my case, they actually kind of made friends with her and then had her as a potential ally later on. Yeah, that happened in one of my groups too. I also like it because it's like a clue that something's not quite right. And the other reason this one's good too is because the, the, the Ching Yun character is is uh, one of the one of the player characters from my group who made it into the book as an NPC in the early play test. And the reason why, it was a player named Kenny who came up with the character. And he he wanted to play uh, one of Zhe Li Zhuan's uh disciples basically and once he looked at the techniques he kind of instantly got how they would work in combat and he was adding flavor to them that was even new and interesting and so uh it really came alive with this character and she became a very like sometimes when you see a player do something like that it just i don't know why it just makes it work for you better like you start to understand it more and it kind of clarified a lot of the stuff with jili juan for me so uh, I like that she's in there for that reason too, because it's, she's actually like, I mean, too bad I don't have a recording of Kenny playing the character because Kenny was like brilliant playing this character in combat and like throwing in those little quips at people that the character is sort of known for. You know, they it just it just was he just said it was really on the ball, and so uh, so this is like you know it's it's also potentially a, a fun encounter if you understand uh, from Ching Yun's description, you know how how you can run her. Um, so going on to D, oh. this is probably the first planned um, potential action scene. Yeah, um, 
And I think your way, the way it played out for you initially was probably the best. So, I mean, this one, so number one, this one is like, you could ignore those first three and just go right to this one, I think. And I think, and you would have a good evening of entertainment basically. So you don't have to necessarily even do all the encounters. But this one, Iron Tooth Bat King, he's just like, I just love this character. And I love the idea that this guy has decided that the Obsidian Bat rightfully belongs to him because of his, you know, because it it connects to his name and he's just destined to own it. And he's got these three iron-headed badgers that are kind of like these sort of like moronic martial experts that, uh, you know, are his muscle. And he just swoops in dramatically and tries to steal the, the Obsidian Bat. I, I think uh, I think one of the reasons why I wanted this one in here is because there are actually quite a few movies and books that have characters that are bat related, and I think that that is a little bit of a surprise to people when they first get into the genre if they're Americans for some reason. The, you know, I, don't, I don't know why. I just I just remember the first time I encountered a character that had bat in his name and he was dressed <laughs> like a bat. It was like I thought that was the coolest thing. Do you know what I mean? So um, I think for me it was the guy in. Uh kung fu cult master remember he's like a green bat guy yeah which is so. i mean that's uh heaven sword dragon saber oh is, yeah that's heaven sword dragon saber it is it? yeah. yeah it's yeah it's heaven sword dragon saber yeah yeah because that guy that that was i think that was the first uh bat character that i encountered and that was followed by um the guy from bat without wings which is a whole other <laughs> whole other deal um but there's also i believe there's a bat character in um the 11th son as well i could be misremembering and confusing my gulong stories but i i feel like there was one in there too um it's been a while but but he's basically an over-the-top character yeah he's an over-the-top character he's dramatic and he has this yeah his 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 eccentricity is fear of beauty so he's like he's afraid of beautiful women and in in one of when, when i i think the first time i ran it one of my characters had the beautiful uh eccentricity so he instantly was like oh you know like like obsequious to her and uh and it, and it just it worked it worked really well as an exchange and it, and, it, and he ended up becoming kind of like a useful resource but he was resentful towards the rest of the party because he was just you know being obsequious to this one member who is the beautiful characters the rest of them he didn't give the time of day to so he still remained the iron tooth bat king with these other characters but with with this one character he sort of showed his his vulnerable side as a you know as a um uh i don't know it's just like a you know a frightened old man so i, I don't know I, I i i i i i like the encounter i also like that you know the, the you know the threat of losing the obsidian bat do you know what i mean because if, if if he succeeds then you know they might have to go chasing after him and his men for this object so it, you know, it, it kind of raises the stakes a little bit too, and and it's a trope of being, you know, the escort company being attacked by bandits. I felt like you had to have that on, on this adventure as the introductory adventure. So for me, it played out very differently. And to explain why, I there's a couple things I think are kind of relevant to talk about. And one is this is this is unrelated initially, but it'll it'll go back into this uh, ambush with the Iron Bat King, which is. Uh, a session zero. Now, um, I won't go into what exactly session zero is. I'm sure if you're an experienced GM, you probably know. Uh, but essentially, it's like a, 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 a pre-session before you actually start playing to kind of warm up a little bit with your players and make sure that their characters are who they want them to be and they kind of know how it works. So for my session zero, and I didn't plan this, it just kind of happened this way as things played out. My session zero was um, the 
the players kind of meeting at a uh, a wine shop in Handan City, and they happen to encounter the Iron Badgers there. And so in my session zero, which is before they start the mission, they actually meet the Iron-Headed Badgers, and they actually befriended them. So okay. there was kind of a little bit of a drinking contest, sort of, and they, they liked them, and then a fight a fight broke out. Um, and in the end, they basically kind of liked them. So when the when the um, the ambush happened, uh, the players initially. So if I remember correctly, I have to look here. Uh, he sends in the badgers first, right? Is that? I think so. Goes? I think that's how it yeah. goes. So he hands he sends in the badgers first in my in my scenario, and because they were kind of friends, my players were basically able to convince them to just abandon the mission of getting the bat. So then the Bat King swooped in, and um, it basically very quickly devolved into a fight. And I had one player who has the deep had the deep eccentricity living to die, and basically he in the living with the living to die eccentricity, you cannot stop fighting until everybody is dead without getting a penalty. Yeah. And he took that seriously. So basically, what happened was my team slaughtered the Badgers and the, the Bat. Like just okay. uh, the bat king. Uh, I think he actually got the bat king got his hands on the bat and started running away. And that player with the living to die player just chased him down and killed him. Okay. And so mine went very differently. And it was also because of that that we added a little bit of a mechanic in the GM section for um, concealing crimes because my players pulled all the bodies off to the side of the road and buried them. And I kind of had to try to figure out, well, what happens with that? And so uh, GMs, be aware that if you have players that are going to be doing things like killing people, because to be clear, the Jiang who we created is supposed to be um, anachronistically historical. Yeah. And in ancient China, it's not as though people were running around having sword fights in the middle of the street, yeah. killing each other, and then you just kind of walk off and everything's fine. Yeah. Like there's police, there's governments, there's yeah. prisons. And so, but I will say the, of... the genre convention of having martial heroes enables you to say, well, these people are exceptional. Kind of like your wife said about the character that I was like, well, should this character be doing that in the picture? And your wife said, well, she's a martial hero. She can do whatever she wants. Yes. Um, so it's expected that they would be doing those. And, of course, in the movies, it's, it's not as though every single time a, somebody kills another guy, the, the constables get involved. But if you're trying to have your campaign be a little bit accurate, and I was, uh, I wanted to have a mechanic whereby they couldn't just go around killing people, stealing things, yeah. breaking things without the risk of being caught. And so... Uh, that I, I would say it's highly likely for players to end up going down that path. I don't know if you experienced that, Brendan, but it did happen for me. So um, of characters breaking the law and getting yeah. in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, that definitely happens. And we have a mechanic in the uh, GM section, um, which uh, I'm not going to be able to find in the moment's notice. But there is a mechanic for like that, a suggested mechanic for dealing with when the police or not the police, but when the when law enforcement, you know, constables yeah. have to investigate how to resolve it um, yeah so if you anticipate your players being those kind of kind of uh, players i mean and even just getting in fights and killing people in general then you might want to brush up on that and have it in your back pocket in case yeah. that's going to happen so moving on the e so the e um encounter if you look on the map the e encounter is actually before the a encounter but that's because it's it can only happen after the d encounter and the bat king's hideout yeah. is supposed to be north so basically yeah. If the Bat King gets the the bat, he takes it back to his hideout, and the yeah. players might have to so, follow him there. My this didn't happen for me, obviously, because they killed him. So it yeah, didn't I, ever I, happen. I I had them chase him back in one event, like one uh, session, 
to the to the hideout. Um, I think also the hideout is something the players, if the players are doing a lot of investigating and very cautious, it could conceivably come up before the Bat King encounter, but it would be rare. But I think it could certainly still arise if the players are like, are there any known bandits in the area? They start asking around, and then do you know what I mean? You, I could see that happening. Um, my my advice in regards to this is for the GM to have a, a some kind of map ready. I think experienced GMs probably would know this, but maybe newer GMs, uh, you might want to take some time to have a map ready in case the players go. Because if the players follow him to the ruined temple and it's night and they're wanting to sneak in and steal the bat back, then you're going to at least need to have some kind of layout. And if it's an emergency and you have no other option, you can always use the map for immortal sword manner and kind of maybe block off some sections and re re envision it in an absolute emergency for the basic layout. Um, otherwise have something ready well, there, so that there's another solution too, because um, we didn't provide, we, we like we, we knew we weren't gonna be able to get a map for this in the book, I think. And so, uh, and we also knew it was a minor encounter, so it really wouldn't be worth it necessarily. But there's a line in here where it says that uh, they've turned it into a makeshift camp using tents and lean-tos. And I really just emphasized that and just treated the whole thing as totally deteriorated so that there wasn't really any need for a map when the players went there. It was, you know, I'm going to have to describe a general structure of some kind if they're using it for tactical purposes. But it, it wasn't like a building that they were exploring. It was more like a, a bandit camp in like, you know, a completely ruined temple. Um yeah, that 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 also works as well for sure. Um, uh, so, go ahead. Oh, so uh, the the next one is obviously Immortal Sword Manor, which is you know I mean, again that is contingent on them arriving at Immortal Sword Manor. Though I guess you could say Immortal Sword Manor can come to you in that if you know if certain events arise in the campaign and Sword Goddess has reason to to go after the players, that could happen. Like if the players were like really investigating sword goddess and bumbling about it and you know she learns about it maybe she might actually just go and confront them but uh but i think generally this is going to happen at the end you know in most yeah. and most we put too much work into this so gms you're not allowed to leave this out you absolutely have to use it no i'm just i'm just joking but we did map this out and incidentally the map of the temple, I was the one that basically came up with this based on the temples I've been to in China, which I've been to a lot. I'm sure there's people who have been to more temples than me. What For those of you who have traveled a lot in China, you probably know it's kind of a, a I would say, a, a running joke or an inside joke among people who are, have traveled a lot in China is that once you go to, like when you go to your first temple in China, it's pretty cool. You're like, this is amazing. And you go to your second temple and you're kind of like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Third temple, usually you're starting to think, wow, this is kind of similar to the other two temples I went to. And then after that, you're kind of like, all right, I've seen the, seen the temples. They're not all exactly the same, don't get me wrong, but they do have a general structure. And this specifically, this one specifically is based on a temple near where I lived in China called the Longxing Monastery. And it's a pretty, it's basically roughly the same size. It's it's a little bit bigger, the, the temple I'm talking about, but it essentially has the same layout as a kind of a standard a Chinese temple and we intended it I think you know we populated it pretty well with a lot of different things to where this could be a multi-session event of exploring it and and especially so for instance I mentioned with my players they went there 
And I intentionally had Sword Goddess offer them a place to stay for the night. In the, I was hoping that they would take the bait and kind of like sneak out at night and explore. Uh, in the end, it actually and didn't happen that way. But the point is, it could turn into a, a nice little exploration thing for them to go through. Yeah, I, no, it, it, it certainly could. And also, I should say, Immortal Sword Manor went through a number of iterations before I think we arrived at this one, right? Yeah. We had, a, we yeah. had different conceptions of what it would be. I think at one point we almost pictured it more like a Shaw Brothers, like really like uh, exotic material type palace. Do you know what I mean? Like one of those sets where it's like, is that marble? Is that is that just carved into ice? What is that exactly? Um, you know, the, uh, but we kind of moved away from that the, the more we, we, we ran the game and the more we, we thought about the adventure. Um, and I think in the end, uh, it made sense for us to, 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 to rely more on Jeremy's experience because, you know, like, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've managed to get like good map models and images and stuff of things uh, when I've done Ogre Gate. But one of the things that I was very aware of was the lack of walking through that space meant I didn't, you know what I mean? It's sort of like if all you saw was uh, uh, um, uh, 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 pictures of a lighthouse and and you never actually went inside one. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't really understand what they are. So, um, so I, so I, 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 you know, I thought that the map came out really good because of your, uh, your, 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 basically having visited them. Yeah, um, I mean, I, and to reiterate, it's not intended to be like a literal representation of any place. But if yeah. you want, if you're curious, you can do a, a Google search for the temple that I was referring to. It's called Longxing Temple, um, L-O-N-G-X-I-N-G. And you can get all kinds of background information, you know, how tall the, the statue is and all these different things. So, um, so in any case, um, that's basically the encounters from beginning to end. Yeah. Uh and we should you we, we should make a the... point we should make a point later of talking about Immortal Sword Manor as an organization. Um, but yeah, we should maybe, talk. Maybe we should do that now before we forget about it. Then we can do the sub encounters, including because I know you wanted to go into a little bit of detail about yeah, okay, okay. located grounding. So I guess so basic. Okay, so so well, number one, um, Immortal Sword Manor. You you made Sword Goddess. She was one of your characters. Like we all we both kind of contributed to each character, but we had characters that were like ours that we made that. Like the other person knew, uh, adjust this one with caution because this one, this, you know, the 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 the, the other person has attachment to that character. Um, but Sword Goddess was also one that underwent a lot of transformation. I feel. Um, yeah, so I definitely. I think I came up with sort of the initial, uh, the the initial hook sort of, and I think we both kind of added bits and pieces as we developed specifically this adventure, actually. Yeah, because I feel like she was more, she was nicer. I think when you first made her, right? Like, yeah, she was a nicer character. And she was kind of like the, like, like the sword goddess. Like you, you know, like the, you, you, you know, the, the you know, uh, a, sort of a noble hero who's good at, at sword play. And uh, I think because of the requirements of the adventure, where she was more antagonistic, we had to kind of make her, I don't know, more more spotty or something uh, and yeah. i don't remember how well, all that came about but i just thought the changes were quite interesting to her this was a case where um i i felt like she really got wrinkly and the more the more we changed her um but well yeah. so basically she is 
she and so she and her organization are similar. The disciples are are essentially modeled to be similar after her, yeah. which I think is kind of a genre trope in itself. And she does think of herself as being righteous, but she's also basically pretty arrogant and also pretty violent. I mean, she cut off her sister's own feet. Yeah. Um, so this touches on, I, I have a, I guess it's a little late to be plugging my website. I should have done it, th- done it at the beginning. Uh, my website's jeremyby.com. And if you go there, you can find a link to a uh, book that I recently released called Understanding Chinese Fantasy Genres. And it's based on my YouTube channel in which I talk about a lot of the same things. And in that book and also on the YouTube channel, I have a section talking about the ruthlessness of the you know, settings in Chinese fantasy novels. And it, it, it's, a, it's definitely a genre trope to have these characters who are not intended to be villainous or necessarily evil, but who are capable of committing some very ruthless yeah. and violent acts. And so she's the, she is one of them and her disciples are the same. They're not bad guys but they are not above bending the rules and they think of themselves as being the top group and the most righteous. And so I had a lot of fun with that personally in portraying those disciples. I also had a clash with them in session zero uh, for my playtest group. I, I, I was happy with how that turned out. I basically had some uh, sword, uh, mortal sword manner disciples come in and essentially pick a fight with the players. I didn't make it that obvious, but I kind of had them be a bit insulting and one thing led to another, led to a fight. And then every time, that really did a good job in my group at least of basically having the players just not like them. And so whenever they showed up and when things started heating up, they had kind of like an they had like an emotional reason, an actual investment in not liking them. Now you don't have to do it that way. You You could portray them as being more good than bad. But in the end, this is a woman who just went and killed a bunch of people to attract the attention of her rival that she just wants to have a contest with. So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think you can go a lot of different ways with it, but it has the potential to be a really good um, something to get the players really involved personally. And she also is one of these characters where the deeper you go into her background, like the the more sympathetic she kind of becomes. She has kind of an interesting backstory with her master and. It's an you know it, and 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 also I I'm going to talk about this when we talk about the encounters but this is an example of a character that's part of this network thing with the characters where uh, you know she she has her sister Lushishi whose legs she cut off and that character appears in the Pleasures of the Harbor adventure and cutting her legs off is what caused Lushishi to develop her whole hand based style that she has and so you know. It, and then there's she also has connections with a character named Surgeon uh, Zhang and um, and uh, I'm sorry not Surgeon Zhang um, Eunuch Zhang you, you, yeah sorry the Eunuch uh, Eunuch Zhang uh, you know she's got this rocky past with him and uh, and and also a connection to Auntie Ying's wine shop so there's it's very easy for Sword Goddess to become relevant to a campaign through any of these different characters that might. Inter, you know, you know, just just a chat with Lushishi could, you know, uh, make Sword Goddess a relevant character. Um, so, so yeah. So I don't know. I, I the other thing about uh, Immortal Sword Manor that I like is just the there, there's kind of like a level of delusion going on with them too that I think is nice. Do you know what I mean? Where that seems to be, you know, the the moment that's challenged, that's kind of when they get violent. I feel. Um, they get violent other times too, but that's a, for me as a GM, that's sort of the trigger that I used. Um, 
So yeah, I think I think people who are who are familiar with the genre, whether it's through movies or novels, are gonna know exactly what we were going for with this kind of group yeah. and this kind of character. It's just you see this these kind of people all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's always like used for dramatic purposes. So you're usually frustrated when the, you know there's the. But yeah, it's it's really common in the television series, especially because they can they can really milk the drama. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So so yeah, so we have this thing called the encounters in the Zhang Hu, and this is something that you would layer on top of the existing encounters. So obviously, there's already a lot of stuff going on, but in the journey, but these are little things that you can sprinkle in if the players are taking their time and traveling, and they're you know say they're they're eating at a restaurant or they're at a wine shop, um, and so. Uh, you know, there's there's basically four potential encounters. One of them is Brocaded Granny. That's the first one. Uh, Guad the Tiny Mouse is the second one. Um, uh, Tree Frog Gao is the third one. And People Playing Witch is the, the second one. And uh, I believe Guad the Tiny Mouse and Tree Frog Gao were your characters. And Brocaded Granny and People Playing Witch were my characters. Um, uh, which is probably pretty obvious because I tend to do a lot of these granny characters in these games. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll get into what I was going to say, but did you have any thoughts on this before I... Um, my, I think the, my main thing is about Chief Frog, Chief Frog Gal, because that encounter involves the involves her trying to steal the bat. Um, yeah. And I think that it can be great. Just, uh, you know, it has to be handled with care. I mean, uh, obviously a lot of this comes down to GM style. Uh, and I know there's different um, schools of thought on it, but I suggest that, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I, I do like to have everything happening realistically. And, you know, I don't, I don't like to railroad it. I don't like to make, th I don't like to, you know, fool with things behind the GM screen uh -huh. um, unless it's absolutely necessary. But that said, I do think the GM should cater to the players to a certain degree. And so the reason I bring that up is that, for example, with my players, they, I think my players were um, primarily uh, kind of younger than me and not necessarily all very familiar with Wuxia. Like they were all, all familiar with it and kind of fans, but I don't think they had a very deep understanding of it. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't really taking the mission very seriously. And I could have very easily had Frog Gal come in and take it like without, a, without yeah. a, any problem at all. But I don't think that really would have brought anything I, I don't think it would have been beneficial for my players at least so i'm just saying it you just exercise care with it because she a uh, tree frog Gao is a level five character so that's also pretty powerful and it could easily lead to the the party getting you know in big trouble so just exercise care with her she's pretty high in terms of the levels uh assuming that your characters are going through at level one and they have this encounter uh, it could definitely turn bad, and and you gotta you got you have to consider uh, the matter of face. And I, I don't know if you remember this, Brandon. We actually changed this encounter uh, from the way it was originally yeah, written. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. Yeah. And um, and it, so for instance, it says if the players catch her, it could result in a chase, and then it says um, she might toy with the party rather than seek to harm them, uh, and so and maybe persuade them to work for her. I think the reason we did that was because if they did get in a fight with her, it would probably result in them losing. It's not guaranteed, but it probably would, or at least one or more of the players getting pretty badly hurt because she's so powerful. So she's definitely one to consider 
um, carefully before putting her in because of her high level, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, no, and, and again, I think I think it boils down to just because somebody's more powerful doesn't mean that they have to kill the party. Do you know what I mean? That's a, in fact, there's one of the reasons why Sword Goddess wouldn't just go and murder the players is because you know, like you said, there's a face factor in there, and so um, I think uh, you know. I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm comfortable, you know, let having the adventure go in any direction. So if I were running her, I wouldn't be afraid to have her steal the obsidian bat, because that might become an interesting adventure on its own. They might even never never make it to a mortal sword manor. But for, when I'm when I'm running a game, I'm not too like once once the adventure goes off the rails like that, I'm not really worried about are we going to get back to our destination. Yeah. Um, I, d- I totally agree. I just think that um, my that bit of advice is more aimed toward. Uh, more beginning GMs or GMs who don't have as much of experience, yeah. because I can I can see a situation where uh, a more a less experienced GM throws her into the picture without really taking into consideration her stats and background. And yeah. if you're not prepared, it could like you, people like you and me probably it doesn't matter. We can roll with the punches, however it is. But uh, if you're not if you're not very experienced at letting things go off the rails or if you haven't taken the time to look at her ahead of time it could yeah. become problematic and you don't have to roll the table too like we said you can select whichever yeah. character you want yeah. so it's option it's an optional thing it's probably not the best thing for a new gm just getting used to the game to try but somebody who's got a little more you know mileage as a gm you know i think it would be a you know perfectly good table to use yeah, uh, and one, that's why I, we didn't put them as optional. So, and and the the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because when I did it, Brocaded Granny was the first one that came up, and I like Brocaded Granny, but also she's an example of, you know, again how you can kind of, like you can we we gave all of these characters layers, and we kind of took a um, what do you call it like an inverted pyramid approach to presenting the information about them for the most part, where. The more relevant is information is usually up at the top, and then as you go down, there might be interesting, crucial details, but you could kind of get away with ignoring those if you want to, if you don't want to get too deep into the character. Um, so you could sort of run Brocaded Granny superficially as an assassin who potentially uh, offers her services to the party and goes along with them on the adventure. But if you dig a little deeper into her, you see that she has this this uh, deep affection for Iron Tooth Bat King, and. Yeah, either that really changes how things can play out in the adventure, especially if the party ends up in conflict with Iron Tooth Bat King. Um, that that's that's one of the reasons why 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 she in particular becomes interesting. Um, and also, people playing witch is just a I found to be a very fun uh, enemy to potentially throw at the party. But also, you know, again, it's not necessarily a conflict. She might, you know. She, she she might you know offer to make the players rich if they can get 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 a hold of sword goddess's body for her so she can make a a peepa out of her you know so um so so there's there's just sort of like little like i don't know when when my party found out that they could get 20 t- golden tails to give this demented lady the body of the of the of this woman uh they lit up do you know what i mean that that uh that it became it became like a a much more exciting mission for them when they realized that. So and also I think they realized oh if we kill Sword Goddess that's kind of gonna 
Do you know what I mean? Obviously, a level one party shouldn't be contemplating this, but but my party, you know, they they, they were they were they were overconfident, and so <laughs> you know they 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 were like, we can totally increase our reputation if we if we do away with sword goddess and have her turned into a pipa. So you know that was uh, uh, you know that was how I think uh, the people playing witch character uh, became relevant. Um, I mean, I think this what you brought up is a good example of how easy it can be to expand the uh, expand the adventure or the campaign uh, based on what we've provided. So, for instance, if if the players do kill Iron King, uh, Iron Tooth Bat King, then Brocaded Granny's going to probably come after them, or at least you could have her come after them. And then, but then if you look, if you're looking closely at um, Brocaded Granny, whose whose name is Yan in Chinese, um, or it, her character is listed under that. Q I U Yan is her name. Basically, she's friends with uh, Chan Haolin, and so then if the players kill Brocaded Granny, well, then maybe Chan Haolin is going to yeah. come after them. And then if they kill Chan Haolin, well, guess what? He's friends with other people as well. So this kind of cycle of revenge is a really typical thing in Wuxia novels. And don't forget also that there's a grudge um, bonus that comes with going after people that you have a grudge with. So if if the players kill any of these named PCs, any of almost all of them, not everyone, but almost all of them have at least one friend uh, that's another NPC that could then come to try to seek revenge for them. And so that's something that should be a factor and that should come to bite them if they do that casually. And that's a genre trope that we intentionally put in there. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And um, and you and you can you can easily follow that trail by just looking up allies and grudges in the uh, entry for every NPC. Um, so yeah, is there uh, you know what else about this adventure do we want to cover before we uh we head out? Do we go over? I think everything? we covered most of it. The only thing I guess kind of following up with what I just mentioned is that there is a list at the end of the potential grudges that could arise, and really it just there's no way to to predict how it'll play out it, yeah. it could just go so many different ways with them you know becoming friends with thor goddess uh, killing her uh, becoming her enemy or allying with chief banfei or they could betray him or there's just so many different ways that it could play out yeah my favorite is yang tao if they kill um wang lan his wife uh who isn't a martial hero seeks out a master and basically starts training and what I like about that is you have the potential for a character who's getting stronger and stronger every time the players encounter them. Um, One thing I do suggest, and so you mentioned before, the there's another adventure, which originally was supposed to be in the book, but turned out that we just had too much content, and so it's available as a free download from um, Osprey on their website. And I think they might, the marketing guy indicated to me they might put it on Drive-Thru RPG as well. But in any case, it's a free adventure that takes place, that is intended to kind of follow up Obsidian Bad. It doesn't happen right after it, but it, but it's uh, intended to kind of connect. And if you are planning to run that one, you should think of a way to uh, try to get the player characters from Kaifeng down to basically the Fuzhou area in China, which is a pretty long journey. It could be several weeks by, um, by foot. And one of the ways that we mentioned in the... Uh, in the Obsidian Bad Adventure is to uh, have Sword Goddess offer them a boat, I think. A yeah, wheat, a, 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 wheat, wheat. a wheat shipment boat um, 
<laughs> that on the condition that they take it to that area. Yeah, so that's if they end up on her good side. So that's yeah. one one option. And and you can I'm sure you can find other ways to come up with other ways to get them to South China to go into the the next leg of the adventure. I think maybe one day in the future we can do a podcast on a, a pleasures of the harbor because that one's a lot more complex than yeah. this one. Yeah, that's actually my favorite adventure in the book, but it's definitely not a good introductory adventure so i think we it made sense for us to take that one out and leave the obsidian bat um but the thing i like about the pleasures of the harbor is it's really like a magic blade type adventure and that you know i think that uh um and also it doesn't quite have it, it's because we we had already got the introductory adventure in, in the beginning we thought we, we had more room to be a little bit more experimental with the with the pleasures of the harbor so I don't know, and it's a fun. I like, I like town-based adventures, and it's a town-based adventure. So you know, um, but yeah. So uh, we'll definitely, I'm sure, be able to cover that one as well. And uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, oh, oh, one thing I did want to want to add is um, uh, some background information. There's a there's a an ability in the game under social resources. Uh, called official title it's it's a social resource and what that does is it gives you some of the actual powers of having an official title and one of the things that comes along with it is having this unleveled assistant who can go and manage things for you where you basically are able to go out and play your assistant uh while you're managing whatever tasks you have to perform as an official where you're assigned and that arose because one of the player characters in the course of this adventure just set up shop in Handan basically because he was an official and he was kind of like conducting the adventure through other people. Um, you know, this is, and, and, and then when the party went off and adventured elsewhere, he just sent one of his secretaries with them and he, and I allowed him to play the secretary. And so that was how that mechanic developed, but it ended up being a really cool mechanic where, the way that the player character gets the XP is the reports that the, the secretary is, the assistant is sending uh, to them. Um, so, so that, I don't know. That was, was, and that came up because of this adventure. Uh, so, so yeah. So I don't know. Anything else to add? Or I think that's it. So hopefully this provided some kind of insights and help to both players and GMs. And uh, like I mentioned before, you can find a list of all of the movies, including the ones we mentioned, on my website, jeremybuy.com. And if you ever you know, have questions or feedback, you can always reach out to me. There's a contact form on my website, and I'm pretty active on social media as well. So go ahead and do that. As of the recording of this podcast, the game is out in Europe, and you can get it online everywhere in PDF form. The actual hardcover copies are not shipped or there's a shipping error or something so we're still about i think two weeks out from them being released in north america yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's that date is rapidly approaching and we like we said we have our hard copies uh here and they are awesome so i'm excited for everybody in north america to get theirs yeah yeah and 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 they look beautiful they look really beautiful um so yeah so we'll we'll uh we'll probably be back on with another podcast soon and until then we will talk to you later with the laughter comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes.
as you stumble 